Let me encourage you this morning to find your notes. You can follow along as we go. But more importantly, talk about it, pray about it. Take your own notes, things that you want to take away and review during the week, and then some suggestions for you on the right side, uh, things that you can do as well to hopefully bring the message more alive. So six words, six words today that can change your life, six words that can even save your life in certain instances. Well, as we get to those, there is one word that probably is familiar to you, but maybe in a different setting. Uh, What does the word mantra mean to you? What setting do you often hear that word, or what picture comes to mind? We're going to have a little audience participation here, so go ahead and shout it out. Mantra, anyone? Maybe show a picture up there, and that'll give you a little help. What do you see? There we go. Buddhist monks, perhaps, maybe Hindus sometimes have mantras where they chant these words, something like a syllable, maybe, om, you've heard that before. Did you know that Christians have mantras? Did you know that? We do. Yeah, it's just a saying, a quote, words that we say repeatedly. There's one in the ancient liturgy called the Kyrie. So Greek scholars, what does that stand for? Kyrios is... Lord, go ahead and show the next slide up there. You've seen this before in in various forms. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. We used to sing that a lot. That's simply a mantra. Now, there are four words there. We use them in in different orders. But today we're going to have six, six words that can literally change your life. Before we get to that, I have to kind of set the stage just a little bit so we understand the context of everything. So we're going to talk about something called a garth. Garth in ancient monasteries was a garden. You can kind of see the English equivalent, garth and in garden. It is a peaceful place. It's where the monks would often go to pray, to read scripture, to have some solitude as well, and talk with the Lord. So I have a picture up there of Garth, if you would show that picture. Wrong wrong Garth, there we go, good try, there we go. Correct Garth, see that? Peaceful place, the garden there, inside the cloister, inside the monastery. Well, what about you? Where's your Garth? Where's your peaceful place? Go ahead, shout it out. Where would you go? I was just on vacation, so I had lots of peaceful places I could go. The farm, the lake. What about you? Where do you go when you just want to get away from everything? Anybody? Shout it out. Our pond. I think I heard. Where else? Where? Bike ride. There you go. Not just a place, but an activity. Where else? The pool. Very nice. All right, there you go. Trampoline, right? You can have peace doing that. Uh, Maybe the mountains, any mountains? Like to go to the mountains, very peaceful there, tranquil. The beach, for a lot of people, love the beach, love the waves, the kind of soothing effect, right? So those are all Garths. Well, I've got some other pictures. Tell me, is this a Garth for you? A peaceful place? 
Generally not. not. Not in traffic. What about there? Sometimes at work, we're overwhelmed. Maybe the other side of it is, is the boredom. Sometimes it comes with it. They're in front of the computer all day. What else do you have? How about at home? Children throwing peas at each other or other flying objects. Maybe, maybe not. What else do we have? The living room, maybe. All the kids are there on their devices. Sometimes that is where people seek peace. Paul says in our reading today that peace is not a place. It's not a geographical setting. But you can find peace anywhere. Even in some of those more chaotic situations. Yes, even in traffic. Even when your teenager is screaming at you. Even when the kids are, are throwing food at each other, there can be peace. So Paul offers us a roadmap this morning so that we can find peace as well. And he gives us six words, and we're going to repeat them together. Go ahead and put them up there. Our six words, say it with me, all together, ready on three, one, two, three. Anxious in nothing, prayerful in everything, thankful in anything. So how many words are up there? That's nine. What, pastor can't count, right? Well, let's try it again. We're going to make it six, so here's, here's another try. Anxious, nothing, prayerful, everything, thankful, anything. What's missing? The little words, but what comes at the, There it is. That's really what we're seeking, isn't it? Peace. Anxious, nothing, prayerful, everything, thankful, anything. Peace. Now, you might have noticed when the epistle was being read that Paul writes it just a little differently and even in a different order. So if we really want to follow Paul's example, we need to change it around. So let's do that. Next slide. And you'll see the order's a little different. So let's try this one all together. Ready? Thankful, anything. Anxious, nothing. Prayerful, everything. And... We have to start at the beginning, all rights, and that is to be thankful in anything. So are you thankful that your investments have uh, declined 20% in the last year or so? Raise your hand. No? Are you thankful when you go to the doctor and you get bad news? No? Are you thankful when your teenagers are screaming at you? No? It says in, not for. Thankful in anything. So how does that happen? Well, Paul writes, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What do you know about the context? Where is Paul writing from? Anybody know? Prison. Writing from jail. So if you're writing from jail, are you going to be thankful in anything? It's going to be really hard. In fact, when we look at this, we kind of say, really? Thankful in anything? We get the not for everything, because not everything is good in this life. Many bad things happen. But even in 
anything? How in the world do you go about doing that? Well, Paul also writes that we need to grow up, that thankfulness is a matter of thinking differently. He says, when I was a child, well, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted like a child. But then when I became an adult, when I grew up, when I became mature, I put childish ways behind me. Now, Mrs. Robinson, in our children's message earlier, remember the pinky? What does the pinky stand for? Me, right? I, me. It's what a two-year-old thinks about most of the time, right, is me. Even as we get a little older, that's where our focus generally is. It's on me. But Paul says, as you mature, that is no longer where your focus is. It's on the other side. It's on the thumb. It's on God and all that God has done. Well, we think, okay, Paul can write this. I mean, who is Paul compared to us? Sure, he's in prison, but he's, he's an apostle. He can do this. But he is about to die. Any day now, he will lose his head, literally. And he'll be dead. He writes this even in the midst of numerous beatings. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned nearly to death by those that he once thought were his friends. He's been persecuted and abandoned by his own people. And yet he can say, be thankful in anything. You know what really is interesting about this whole thing? When Paul writes the whatevers, This comes from Roman philosophy. Yeah, he picks it up from the culture. And don't people say that today if you go to a a psychologist or a counselor? One thing they'll say is to ditch the stinking thinking, the negative thing. Go back to the, the whatever slide if you can find that one. It says there to think on these things, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, not what's false, but what's true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, not wrong, whatever is pure, not dirty, whatever is lovely, not ugly, whatever is admirable, not loathsome. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying that in any situation, in any circumstance, no matter how bad it is, you can find something good if you look hard enough. And we know that. We've heard that from many different sources, but you know what makes this stick? You know what makes this meaningful? You know what makes this something that we can hold on to? It's the next part. Because of what Christ has done. When our focus there is on Christ, when our thinking is about him and the salvation that he has won, it changes literally everything. Remember, Paul is about to lose his head. He is about to die. Whether it's in prison or whether it's through another beating or stoning, he knows that when he closes his eyes, the next morning the Lord will be with him, either here in this life or in the next. If he dies, that is not a problem because the Lord has already conquered death. 
He will wake up with his eyes open, and there will be the glory of the Lord and all the angels, and he'll be able to really use that thumb and praise the Lord. He doesn't worry about being in prison. He doesn't worry about the economy. He doesn't worry about his aches and pains. He doesn't worry about bad news because he's already heard the best news of all. His big problem of sin and separation from God and eternity in hell has all been conquered. And when you look at it in that perspective, it changes everything. And our problems don't seem nearly as big and our anxieties are turned into nothing. So we begin with being thankful, not for, but in anything. So, stock market dies, thankful. Win the lottery, thankful. Children who are a pain in the, fill in the blank, thankful. Children who are filled with love and joy and praise and obedience to their parents, thankful. Good news at the doctor, thankful. Bad news at the doctor, Thankful still. And once we are thankful in anything, then we can do the rest. It actually becomes rather easy. And again, you say, really? (laughs) Maybe not so easy, but certainly possible. When we're thankful in anything, then we can truly be prayerful in everything. Because when that economy tanks, We're going to be praying about that when we are in that traffic jam. Do you realize that it's difficult to curse when you're praying? It's really hard to yell at your teenager when you're praying. Maybe have your teenager pray for you while they're yelling at you. If you have a coworker that's irritating or annoying, pray for them. That changes everything. Even better yet, have them pray. See how that works. Prayer not only changes our circumstances, but it changes us. And that leads to the anxious in what? Nothing. Nothing. Now, it doesn't say there won't be trouble. It doesn't say that life is free of trouble. There's always trouble. There's always bad things that are going on. And for we as believers, probably even more so. I mean, after all, Paul is in prison. Why? Because of his faith. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there. He wouldn't have had all this trouble that he had. So it's not free of trouble, but free of anxiety. When we focus on the big things, the eternal things, the heavenly things, the spiritual things, the godly things, nothing else truly matters anymore. Peace, something we all want, something the world seeks and looks for, is right here because of who lives here. God is in our hearts. The Holy Spirit gives us that peace that only God can give. And then truly we become this word, 
a shalomer. How many of you want to be a shalomer? Anybody? Do you know what it means? Yeah. To be filled with peace. You know, in the Hebrew, it doesn't just mean lack of conflict. It means wholeness. Holiness. Because of our relationship with God. That is where true peace can be found. I'll close with this. There was once a a community library that was doing a contest. They had a number of portraits, a number of pictures, paintings. And the subject was peace. And the finalists were these two. I'm just going to paint the picture for you in your mind. One is a tranquil lake, completely still, like a mirror. And then in that portrait, there was seen on the surface of the lake, the hillside that surrounded it, filled with wildflowers and deer coming for a drink on the edge of the lake, a blue sky and puffy white cloud. Truly a peaceful sight. But then the other one that was a finalist, completely the opposite, a violent storm. Jagged lightning across a dark sky. The trees were blowing so much that they were almost horizontal in the branches. But then, even though there were no people in the painting, there was a little bird. A little bird perched on one of those branches. And those who saw it thought it looked like the bird was singing in the midst of all that chaos. So which would you vote for? The judges voted for the bird. That's peace. It's not about what is going on out there. Nor is it about the place you find yourself, but who it is that lives in here. With me? Anxious? Nothing. Prayerful? Everything. Thankful, anything. Peace. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can be a shalomer. (laughs) You can be a shalomer. Try saying that to a few people this week. You shalomer, you. That's who we are. Because of who lives in us. And regardless of what happens in the world, we can be at peace. The peace that only God can bring. Let's all rise now and make profession of our faith.